Hey everyone, John Clare here, and welcome to episode 27 of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. We hope you are all doing well and staying healthy. If you joined us last episode, you'll recall we recently moved into our new space. However, due to COVID, we've not been able to move into the proper recording space due to social distancing rules. So we've been recording pretty much in a big open area and the audio whack-a-mole continues. There's always some sort of audio this, audio that, but with each episode, we'll try and do a little bit better until we can finally cram into our proper recording space. Until then, we certainly appreciate your patience. Needless to say, as one of my favorite 80s guys says, Howard Jones, things can only get better. We had a large contingent on the Zoom call today, including several Evo Fires and our guests. In fact, it's our largest podcast to date with seven participants. Speaking of our guests, we're excited to welcome Roger Pine and Kevin Lozer, co-founders of the software Holistaplan. This podcast has a little bit of everything for you. First, some advice on career changing and entrepreneurship. Second, building a tech startup. Third, running a software company. And fourth, maybe a little bit of tax planning in there. First, a little bit about Holistaplan. Holistaplan is tax planning software that allows professional advisors to analyze, project, and recommend tax strategies to their clients in a way that really hadn't been available to date. Both Kevin and Roger are certified financial planner professionals and have or continue to work with individual clients to date. So they knew very intimately the need that they were servicing. Roger had a good quote that came up in the podcast on entrepreneurship in general, and I thought it bears repeating here. It talks about changing careers, and I quote, Tarzan never lets go of one vine until he grabs another. And just think about that a second. I think it's great, simple advice. By the way, um, Roger Pine and his former podcast colleague, Ben Birkin of Zebra Smash Podcast, were big help in getting the EvoFi podcast off the ground a few years ago. So it's great to have Roger on the podcast today to thank him in person. If you're not already a subscriber on the podcast, please subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts these days. You can check us out on Twitter, Instagram at EvoFi Podcast, or drop the podcast a line at EvoFiPodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and a little fun. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. Now let's get to the podcast. Here's the largest EvoFi team to date with Kevin and Roger from Plan. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, fellas. We're lucky to have Roger Pine and Kevin Lozer with us from Plan. How are you all doing today? Doing great. Happy doing, to be here. Thank yeah, you. doing well. Uh, Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for coming. And uh, Dave was going to do a, a, a good intro for you guys, so he... I know he goes back much further than, uh, than I do, so he's going to do a little bit of an intro, and then we'll uh, get into the fun. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So actually, it's kind of um, full circle here because the, the, I think the financial planner who pioneered podcasting and actually these, this type of like remote broadcasting, uh, Roger Pine. 
a former NAPFA board member. Uh, we've been friends for years. Kevin Lozer, also friends for years, another NAPFA member. And um, I think what's really neat is uh, in our profession, um, most of us are you know, career changers and we come from some other field. Um, find financial planning and it's a great great place to be and um, in this case we have two financial planners who have then gone back out and and taken that expertise and started a new business and something that's really just taken off like wildfire within our profession this um, tool called Holistoplant could be wildflowers wildflowers I was going to say that yeah. <laughs> and, and I do have to say that we do have Cecilia Fleming and Mariami Pierce as well with us, as well as Jack O'Brien. Uh, and I do have to say, Roger, you know, you are one of the people we should credit for getting this podcast up and running, whether you know it or not. The Zebra Smash podcast was, uh, was a big help. And in fact, we still use the legal disclaimer you wrote for us, whether you know that or not. So we were hoping you could sing that for us, but I won't put that pressure on you. <laughs> Happy to do it. We'll do a live <laughs> performance on your next one of these. We'll, we'll record that. It's better, than us. it's better than us seeing the disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do it all in bass. So anyway, welcome, guys. Appreciate it very much. Um, so we like to start off the show with something we call the Evo 5, um, just to have a little fun to get you all warmed up before the gig. Uh, but since there's two of you all, you get to be lucky. We're, instead of uh, each giving you five, we're going to let you split. So you guys can figure out who orders what, who, which one orders or answers which question. So We each gonna, do two and a half. Or you could do two and a half, yeah. All right, so the first question, and we put these out in advance, so what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You guys figure out who takes that one. Kevin, how good is yours? Uh, Well, mine's a professional golfer. Okay. Do you actually golf (laughs) now? I I don't golf nearly as much as I used to, but uh, it's always something, even going back to my 20s, that I thought about career changing into from time to time. I'm not good enough anymore to, to ever do it, but if I had to pick one profession that I would be doing right now other than this, it would be uh, being a, a PGA golfer, either teaching people or if I was ever good enough to be out there on tour. Well, you must be good enough if you're actually thinking about that. And by the way, with your headphones on, you look like you could be a PGA broadcaster at least. Uh-huh. That, that's going to be my third or fourth career. It looks like he's going <laughs> to sink that putt on 15... Just a little bit to the left. <laughs> All right. Such pretty as it is. <laughs> Roger, what's your favorite word? Uh, okay, so I saw this one and I thought about it. Um, I vacillate between two extremes. For many years, my favorite word was sure. Like, you want to do this thing? Sure, I'll do it. You want to be on this board? Sure, I'll do it. And that's opened up a lot of opportunities for me. That's how Dave and I met. As someone said, you want to go serve on this committee for our profession and we said sure and we did it now my my the word i'm trying to make my favorite word is no so i'm trying to do the opposite i'm trying to try to i'm really trying to focus more and say no to more things and that's that's hard to do when your pattern is to say sure to everything so and i thought with the lead in it was going to be vacillate vacillate yes (laughs) that a real (laughs) word i might have made that up but i but no is the one i'm going with now i'm trying to make we're glad you used your old word when we asked you about doing the podcast so uh, still need some practice on changing over to the new word. I, I think that just started yesterday, right, Roger? <laughs> well, it's, it's a battle. It's Too a battle late. to try to make it happen. Hey, Cece, you want to throw the next question? Sure. Kevin, what would you do differently if you knew no one would judge you? Oh, geez. Yeah. I've, um, what would I do differently? Um, 
I don't know. You know, I just got back from a beach vacation and it felt pretty good to be walking around all the time without the, without, or just in flip flops and no shirt and things like that. Maybe I'd walk around a little bit more with, uh, just sandals, flip flops and no shirt on. What is your happiest childhood memory and what makes it so special? Is this one on me? Whoever wants it. Uh, I mean, I can do it. I mean, I, so I was an only child. I didn't have brothers and sisters. And so for me, I really enjoyed, uh, at Christmas time, we'd get the families together. I got to spend time with my cousins, and we were always creating things. We were always making, building board games or writing. We wrote a newspaper, and we would build things, and I credit a lot of the creativity that goes into starting a software company to those early years where, as a kid, you just get to create, and no one's telling you what's the right thing or the wrong thing to build or spend your time on. Well, I'd say you like you like you said you've kind of found your way there uh, in this new venture, and we're looking forward. It took to me twenty years that. to get back there, but I did. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, well, I, I'm enjoying it a lot. And when you were a child, you were always thinking about creating some type of tax planning software. Yeah, tax, tax planning by. software yeah. was the dream. Yeah, it's every it's every little boy's dream. <laughs> yeah, Northern sure. Virginia, you know. Anyway, so this is the fifth question of the Evo Five, and this requires a little bit of. Uh, introduction for the people don't spoil it though both of them who still still might be listening um actually it's not an introduction it's a it's a coda that i'll say at the end so roger this one's for you this is name that tune oh boy okay i was gonna go to class before i got oh yeah i know that one that is my go-to karaoke anthem because I got high. I believe the artist is, is the name Afro Man? Is that the name of the artist? Yes, that would be the name. And uh, just yes. the backstory on that. Back before coronavirus when we could go out and you know go to Napa conferences twice a year, uh, Roger and a few other folks, uh, sometimes I would join, would um, go to the the diviest karaoke bar in the worst section of whatever town our conference was in. It was in. Phoenix, and it was a biker bar, And I think. the Phoenix place was particularly bad because yeah. the, the, even the, the Lyft driver stopped as I'm getting out of the car, and like 10 of us are unloading, and he goes, grabs me, and he says, do you want me to stay? And driving out there, which took 45 <laughs> minutes from downtown Phoenix, somebody asked him, have you ever been to this bar before? And he said, I've never even been to this section of town before. <laughs> and it was like pawn shop, gun shop, pawn shop, gun shop, karaoke bar with like 20 Harleys in front. Just one flickering blue neon sign. Roger is wearing a suit and a bolo tie. And the rest of us are kind of in conference uh, attire. And we walk in and the music stops. Everybody's like totally quiet, turns and looks at us. And Roger puts that on. And then they loved us. And the rest yeah, is... Yeah, we brought the house down with that one. Yeah. Good. So, always a good way to um, make make yourself friends at a biker karaoke bar. All right, guys. Well, hey, that was fun. Thank you all. Hopefully the ice is sufficiently broken. Let's talk a little bit about Holistaplan. Obviously, we know, or at least we do, because we've chatted with you before, but we're, your background is both in financial planning. Talk to us a little bit about how you got to where you are in your venture with Holistaplan, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Right. So, I mean, we... Kevin and I are both financial planners like you are, and, and we, we understand the value of looking at a, a client's entire financial picture. There's 300,000 financial advisors out there in the United States, many of whom only will look at your investments and maybe make a cursory look at 
you know, your talk about your retirement plans, but looking at taxes, looking at a state, like that's where the real value is. And I know your clients have seen that by working with you. Um, but it's super inefficient. Like getting to know a person and reading their will and reading their tax return is is an expensive thing for business to do. And so as a result, unfortunately, how, uh, real rich financial planning is often only affordable to very high net worth or at least high middle market clients. That's why a lot of firms have minimum um, uh, assets or minimum fees or whatever it may be. So I was really interested in the idea of how do you make financial planning accessible to more people? And so I really, I went out for a year before Heather and I joined forces trying to think of ways to use technology to kind of automate some of that process that really only a human can do. I mean, like your clients know from sitting with you, like how deeply you get to know them and they're, you know, a computer can never do that. But the kind of mechanical parts of just reading through a document and finding things in it, a computer can do that. And so that's where, that's what Holistic Plan was born out of. Our, our product, basically a financial advisor, we sell to financial advisors. They upload their client's tax return and the, the software reads it all in and then immediately pops out a report and then some opportunities to discuss with the client right away. And so it cuts out 30 to 45 minutes of just drudgery of going through these documents. And our goal is to just make financial planning richer financial planning accessible to more people. The kind of the type of product that you put out to your clients, we think is a force for good in this world. We want more people to have access to it. So that's what we do. That's what our software helps people do. And how long how long have you guys been um, been in operation now? We started with our original set of beta testers, of which your firm was one, uh, last spring. So the spring of 2019, and we we kind of did a soft launch of the product late June. Two days before Kevin and I went on vacation, that was probably a bad time to launch a new website. A whole bunch of stories there. But really, last fall in September, we won a big national uh, competition for new fintech innovation, and that really launched us. So we're coming on about a year, and we have about a thousand financial advisory firms on on the platform now. Wow, that's amazing growth over over such a short period of time. Congrats to you both. Thank you. Thanks. And in full disclosure, as, as users of the product, uh, we can see why that's the case. So we found it to be quite a game changer for our firm. So uh, well done on, on, on that to you both as well. Good. Yeah, it's caught yeah. on for sure. Yeah, appreciate that. So talk to us a little bit about how one transitions from you know, a planning practice and meeting with clients one-on-one to a kind of a tech startup and from a mindset perspective and then just a, you know, just a lifestyle, yeah, just a change overall. How did that happen? Um, well, I can, I can say parts of it were, were actually pretty difficult um, to kind of change your mindset. I mean, you are used to, a, when you're a financial advisor, especially when you're doing the kind of work that your firm's doing and my firm was doing, you're very high touch. You, you try to deliver a perfect product every interaction with a client. You want to make sure that email is well crafted. You want to make sure it's understood well. You want to try to chase down everything you can. Software is not like that. Software is you put something out that might have some bugs and some problems and you're trying to iterating through it. And so that was actually, that was hard to get used to the idea of, of putting out a product that's not perfect. But that's how innovation happens. We had to do that to get the product out there so users are touching it and giving us feedback on how to improve it. And now we're at a point where 
it's valuable to more people. That was really hard. The not seeing clients and stuff, you know, I can take or leave that sometimes. I had some whiny doctors in my old <laughs> in my old firm that I'm glad I don't have to hear them whine anymore, frankly. And chances are they probably don't listen to this podcast, so you're safe. They even if they do, come at me, whiny doctors. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Kevin? I mean, Kevin still has clients, actually. He's retained. Yeah, right. So it's a little bit Sorry, different for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. So, so I s- spun off from my previous firm in summer of 2018, about six months after Roger left his. And I took a handful of clients with me. And even at that time, I thought, maybe I'm still going to do this, uh, you know, be a financial planner and run a, a fee-only financial planning business. But it, it, it didn't take me very long to realize that I, I wanted something a little bit different and I've known Roger for years now, six, seven years, and I knew he was working on something kind of behind the curtain for, for all of 2018. So I started poking around a little bit and asking questions and uh, realized that, I, you know, what he was starting to build or to kind of, we helped kind of seed some thoughts with one another, I think. And w- when we came up with the idea of Ballista Plan, I was pretty much all in. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, I enjoy this more than personally. And I know it's everybody's personal decision, but I enjoy this more. I, I always enjoyed the business side of things more than maybe the personal relationship advising side of things. So this gets me back into more of a running a business and a, and a scalable larger business than I would ever have created on my own or even with team uh, in the RIA. So both of you are successful as financial planners. And, you know, Kevin, I get it. You know, you're moving from one firm and starting a new. Roger, you are with a going concern. Big firm, still a very, very large firm. Um, that's taking a big risk, right? So for anybody who's out there thinking, yeah, I could do that, what advice would you give to them? What are the pitfalls? What are the risks based on the experience that you've had what advice would you have for people who are considering doing something like developing their own new technology tools? Well, I got to be honest. I, the, the huge asterisk I would put next to what you just said is I come from a position of enormous privilege in the sense that uh, we, you know, financially we were able to go to one salary. Um, we were in a position where we you know, weren't struggling financially in order to be able to take that quote-unquote risk. And so um, I think a lot of the work, though, had been done previously. Like, so learning how to code, I, I did that while I was working at the firm I was in, right? Anyway, I built systems for our firm. Yeah, I, I, don't, I had an old boss years ago, and he said, Tarzan, Tarzan never grabs, he never lets go of one vine until he's grabbed the next vine. And so I think a lot of people who are kind of dreaming of entrepreneurship they can embrace that. They can start to build up those skills uh, while staying with the day job, so to speak, so that they, you know, so they can lessen that risk. But again, I, come, I, I had enormous privilege just going in because we had a, a stable income. We were, you know, our business was going fine. And so my wife was able to kind of support me going off on this different path. And I know that's not something everyone's able to do at age 40 with two kids the way I was. Well, so definitely financial stability so that you can handle that risk. Big, big piece of it. And then what? There's that leap of of faith that somebody's going to buy your product. How how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, I spent a year with no one buying my product before Kevin and I joined up. I went through several iterations of trying to build out this idea that uh, did not work, and that's really hard. <laughs> it's not fun because you're all alone. I will say, like, joining with a co-founder is night and day uh, the better way to go, at least for for me. And I, talking with other entrepreneurs, I know that's how they feel as well. Because when things are not going well and you're on your own, you are really on your own, you know. And I was. I didn't have office space, so I was just sitting in my house, you know, trying to make a business startup that wasn't really, uh, wasn't really catching, and that that's hard. Like that's hard on your self self image, and you know, I, I you know, by the time Kevin and I started up, I was pretty close to quitting. Like I was already starting to talk with firms about going to. I knew I loved coding. Like I love writing code. That's something I discovered a few years ago, and so I want. I knew that was going to be part of my life, but I had almost given up and gone to go get a day job writing code for someone else. So I'm grateful that we gave it one last shot and, and found something that, that worked. So, oh, I just snaked Dave. I'm sorry. So what was the inflection point? What was it? I've, bringing Kevin on board? What, because you hear about a lot of startups where it's crickets for a while, but then there's this one thing that happens and everything changes. What was it specifically that you think turned, you know, turned things up for you guys? Well, well a huge pivot. I mean, I spent all of 2018 that year working on a product that was direct to consumer. And I learned that that is a different, very different business and different world than I'm used to. Again, remember my goal was I want more financial planning to be accessible to more people. And so I thought, okay, well let's just give them these tools like holistic plan that they can use. Um, that that's just, that's harder to sell, or at least I'm not the guy to sell that. There are people who've, become gurus in personal finance. You can argue the quality of their product or not, but um, that wasn't working out. So the pivot was, let's go to advisors. And that really, really changed things. And also just having Kevin. Kevin had a great insight when we started that, uh, you know, that this automatically reading in documents was a thing I had never thought of. And marrying that with kind of the decision engine that I had been working on really just made the, the thing take off. You hear a lot about product market fit with entrepreneurs early stage and, and I think we just it just took time to find it and we were lucky that we had time we had the financial resources and the patience uh, to get there I'd, uh, I'd also add that I think um, and, and this was Roger's idea from the very beginning let's get other people in the boat with us too and seeing this product if it were completely up to me I'm more of I'm, I'm a perfectionist like Roger was describing earlier someone that wants everything to be perfect before someone sees it and we definitely had to get away from that pretty quickly. And Roger was like, let's get this out to our friends. We obviously have a, you know, you all and, and many other friends in the NAPFA community that uh, we certainly, what we showed them in beta was is nowhere near what it is today, <laughs> not even remotely close. But that insight of more than just me and Roger, even though we come from where we're advisors and we have that background, 20 minds are better than two. Two is better than one. And, but 20 are better than two. So that really helped us move a lot faster and get it to a point where we could you know, win, win a fintech competition. Still pretty much based as much on promise as it was the actual product at that point, but at least we, we had the promise lined up and the vision lined up thanks to letting other people see a inferior product at that point. Did you have something you wanted to ask? No, actually, I that kind change? of... like. That kind of touches on this whole, you know, 
their consumer tools, their professional grade tools, and we think that'd be a good area to discuss. Let me elaborate just to, so Roger, you mentioned in the beginning, you had a more of a direct to consumer type approach. And clearly the space is ripe for disruption because there's often a large gap between the tax prep side and the, sorry, one of our office mates is totally loud. And anyway, so consumer tools. So I think obviously we found with our clients that this is an area that they're very interested in from getting that tax document, uh, but they've never a translation of it. There's never, uh, certainly not until they work with us. Um, is there something that, that you saw uh, in your day, you know, like, that helped inform you on how to build this tool? I'm guessing we saw it, but we weren't coders. So kind of talk to us a little bit about tech tools for clients on their own in this space versus kind of the more professional grade tools like you guys have morphed into and kind of how you see that currently and shaking out going forward on the tax side. Sure. Yeah. And I think there's a bigger, there's a bigger thing we all have to watch for as financial advisors. And that is what's it going to look like when Amazon starts doing this? Um, and we can kind of be like, Oh, there's no way they could ever do this, but someone's going to figure out a way to do this direct to consumer. The issue I had with direct to consumer, and then I'll talk about how we built the professional tools. The issue I had with building a direct-to-consumer model was there's so much just baseline education. I was spending most of my time building educational content rather than the actual tool itself. I mean, two advisors talking to each other, I can say, hey, I recommend a Roth conversion because they're in a 12% bracket this year, and I know they'll be in a 24% bracket next year. We as advisors have the history and the, the knowledge to understand all the moving pieces of what I just said. A consumer, especially one I can't see if you're using a software product, you got to make sure they understand what a marginal tax bracket is. A lot of people don't know. You got to explain what a Roth IRA is and what an IRA is and what a Roth conversion means and how what the tax implications are. And like, that gets really, really complicated, whereas I could just give a one-sentence answer to an advisor. And because of the training they go through and the experience, they're able to translate that to their client and then deliver that you know, they're able to work with their client to make sure that's an understood thing. So that was a huge difference. Like not having to build the educational content frees us up to work a lot more on the tools itself. Of course, we need to help advisors kind of work with it, but it's, it's, it's vastly different. Now, as far as building the tool itself, you know, firms, different advisory firms have different levels of infrastructure for doing things like tax return reviews. I know within my firm, we, you know, one of the challenges when you first start as a financial planner, you've got your own knowledge and you can kind of help the client through it, but then you get two or three of you in the office. And how do you make sure that under the brand of this firm, and I'm sure you guys have had to deal with this yourselves, how do we make sure that the product that John gives, the advice that he gives to his client is the same as what Dave gives to the client, given the same fact pattern? And so you start to build institutionalized uh, checklists, institutionalized kind of worksheets. A lot of people building stuff in Excel. And so Kevin and I had some of that knowledge from our own firms, but then like Kevin said, it's been really helpful to just hear, you know, we have a thousand firms on the platform now. And so if there's something they're seeing that needs to be there, they're not shy about telling us. And so now we have this virtuous kind of snowball sort of effect where now we have so many people on the platform that it papers over the bugs very, very quickly or any deficiencies very, very quickly. And then everyone gets the benefit of that that institutional knowledge of thousands now. So that's kind of what you do. I think that's the logical kind of 
process. You go from solo, you, you write down some checklists, and then you start to try to automate the checklist. And that's the stage that we're helping firms like yours and others do. So, so if, if I'm a kind of just a client, I don't, I'm a listener, and I don't work with a financial advisor today, and therefore don't, I'm not one of the thousand firms that you all work with who, who, who look at things a certain way. Are there certain consumer-friendly type you know, packages out there that folks can look to um, that, that you, you know that, I mean, I know there's a million calculators out there, but I mean, is there something out there in the retail space that, that you would recommend? Maybe another way to look at this is so, and, and it's a saying that we've kind of latched onto for years, right? In a sea of sameness, how do you choose? Um, you know, the, lots of TV commercials about, you know, advisory firms and brokers who say, oh, we do blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it all sounds pretty. And the same is true with a lot of these websites that are like, hey, you can, you know, type in this information and get, get good answers around your money decisions. So what are the things that a consumer needs to, to, to consider when they're looking at it to say, this is just a pretty tool, but it's really not going to give me a whole lot of useful information? Or no, this is, this is a pretty robust tool that's going to be better than nothing. And, um, you know, at least, you know, if I'm not ready to work with a, a CPA or I'm not ready to work with a certified financial planner professional, um, at least it gets me started. One of the things that I would look for is the level of detail it's asking of, of you. Um, and I think that that would have been one of my answers to the difference between professional uh, tools that advisors use and what maybe consumers use is a lot of the calculators that are out there in, in the consumer world. They ask you to enter three things or four things and it takes 30 seconds or a minute to do and then you're done and they, they, they promote magically. You, you now know exactly what to do. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, financial planning and taxes in particular are intertwined with so many other things that are going on in our lives. It can taxes impact the type of investment portfolio you're going to have, your estate planning, your insurance products that you might want to purchase. It involves, it, it's intertwined with everything. So if an online calculator is asking for three or four data inputs, Chances are you're going to get generalized type of information. Uh, our part of the, and part of the reason why we went towards the read, reading in the tax document itself is because as Roger and I were creating a prototype, we were realizing, man, we're asking the advisor to enter a lot of data here. <laughs> so we we're like, is there a way we can streamline this? And that's when we went into, well, let's try to just read it in for them. Uh, but you need that level of detail in order to really provide rich recommendations that are going to be as close to tailored to that specific client's or, or consumer's needs as much as possible. Yeah, I would say, you know, like when you look at the, the vast majority of people, when they think about tax advice, they think about tax preparation, right? And... um you, know, you got your TurboTax to do it yourself, or you can hire a, a, a CPA to do it. But you got to realize that, like CPAs, if they're in the tax preparation game, that business is viable if you are able to prepare like thousands and thousands of tax returns. And so, I would argue some CPAs are. This is not every CPA, but a lot of them, they just don't have the ability to go into the level of detail that a financial planner 
could because it's more of a volume business. They got to crank out, you know, 2000 tax returns this year. And so to the end consumer, and the same goes for the, the, the types of products you might use to prepare your own taxes, like a TurboTax, it might be built to help you kind of look at your refund or something like that. But uh, when, when it gets into like heavy duty planning, where you got to know the person holistically, they, they're just not going to be able to do it. And so I, so that, you know, it's a long way of coming back to your original question, which is what tools are out there for, for individual consumers. The answer is none, unfortunately. There really aren't the type of tools out there where you can say, here's me. How do I save $20,000 in taxes if I do XYZ over the next four years? It's just not there. That's it's not going to take so, an expert. Let me ask you a question that uh, financial planners really don't like to answer. Um, but I'm going to ask you to kind of do a prediction here. So I'm no longer a financial planner, so I'll have to. <laughs> but answer. you still are a certified financial planner professional. So you know, true. Yeah. <laughs> it's still in your DNA. So the, here's the deal. All of our data is out there, right? All of our spending, you know, with banks, credit cards, mortgages, our income, our investments, our tax, that data is out there. I mean, Alexa listens to everything you say and records it. So given that pretty much complete information around who you are is out there, how long do you give it until somebody mentioned, you know, what if you know Amazon starts doing this or Microsoft until all of this gets wrapped in a really nice intelligent AI? I guess that's an oxymoron. Yeah, I probably <laughs> an intelligent I mean, intelligent. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to put a guess out there because I doubt anyone's going to call me on this, but I'll, I'm going to go with 20 years. Um, when you look at the way you know, there's something called robo advisors now, which is a uh, you know you plug in some information about yourself and they'll set an investment portfolio for you. And that's something that is what financial advisors did 20 years ago. And when, when I first started in the business, you know, not that long ago, but 10, 12 years ago, it only advisors had this rebalancing software. That's what we call it, rebalancing software, which was in essence, our own little robo advisor software that helped us do this thing faster. And then Someone they refined that to the point where they said, "Okay, let's now a consumer can use that." And then they probably and, and raised just a bunch to interrupt of PC for money. those listening, rebalancing is to make sure that your portfolio stays within right. a certain risk return yes. zone that you wanted. Right. As it's, the I mean, market what does what the yeah. market does over time. Yeah. So basically, what would happen is an advisor would set set up a model that says, "I want X percent in this investment and Y percent in this investment." And the rebalancing software would help them automate the process of doing the trades in and out of whatever asset classes to keep that portfolio. And advisors loved that because now they could take off and play golf at 3 p.m. because there's no, no more trading work to do. The problem is someone figured out, well, I could just put that same technology in front of a consumer and let them do it. But that took really about 20 years end to end. And it still really and, doesn't do it for the whole portfolio. And it still, yeah, there's still problems with it, and it doesn't fit everybody's situation. But there are, there's a group of consumers who, for whom that will be a solution that works. And so, yeah, so twenty I mean, years, I, twenty years to get to robo just to do a rebalance a part of the portfolio. But with, you know, think of Moore's law and you know how technology you're right. and doubles. Yeah, it's faster now. Like Kevin, I mean, you know, the business that Kevin and I run today, we spun up in a year. We would not have been able to do that five, ten years. No. You know, people have heard about Amazon Web Service for hosting websites, the open source software ecosystem, um, just the embrace of 
cloud computing, like those things weren't there. And so it's true. Maybe it's going to be 10 years, but it's going to happen. And so I think we as advisors should pull together to ensure that we're the ones leading that charge rather than an Amazon leading that charge. Because I feel like our um, values and our soul is in the right place. We're coming at it from the right perspective of wanting to help clients. Like that's why I know y'all got into this business. You talk about you talked about career changes. A lot of financial planners are career changers who came into this business because we want to help people. And so I, those are the people I want to build this next chapter of financial planning. And so that's the platform we're trying to give them. I would much rather you and we build it than some Silicon Valley hotshot who's going to cash in and disappear in five years. So while we've got some time uh, still working in front of our clients, or, or at least over Zoom with our clients, as the case may be now, you have a thousand financial advisory firms using Holistaplan today and growing. Um, you've got to have some insight into, so how are firms using this to help their clients? And from a consumer standpoint, what are the strategies that are really resonating with their advisors to help save them tax dollars? Yeah, I can chime in there with some of those uh, Roth conversions, uh, particularly this year in 2020, are is the biggest reason folks are using the software. Uh, other tax strategies that that we see often are uh, identifying the the best way to withdraw from a portfolio. I, I call it this is kind of geeky, but it's it's tax efficient withdrawals, right? Figuring out how much to take from the IRA versus how much to take from the taxable account. There's a lot of times there's kind of a, a perfect number in there or close to a perfect number of how much you want to take from each to be really tax efficient. But you, you have to look several years out in some cases and look at a multi-year strategy to do that type of thing. Uh, donor advised funds are becoming more and more popular. So that's, that's where you can lump up, a, 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 kind of look at, see how much you want to give to charities over the next couple years and front load all of those into a donor advised fund. And then you give in those subsequent years from the donor advised fund, that allows you to take the itemized deduction in that year that you uh, deposited the money into the donor advised fund. That helps with, again, multi-year tax strategies. Uh, and then another one that's becoming more and more popular uh, is um, QCD, Qualified Charitable Distributions. You can now donate money directly from your IRA to a charity, and then that will not count towards income. Uh, it won't be taxed. And for some people in certain tax situations, that's actually a better outcome than actually gifting cash from your bank account or your investment account. It's, it's a better tax outcome. So those are, those are, I think I gave you three or four of the most frequently use tax strategies you know when 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 clients consumers when they when they hear tax planning i think their mind goes to like setting up cayman island stuff to like shield your business income and stuff like that and like the reality is the bread and butter financial plan that a financial advisor can do for a consumer is really at the the simplest level is we're, we're trying to push income into or out of a given year. And, and by doing that, we're trying to optimize across multiple years where our taxes are paid. We don't want to push ourselves into a higher bracket. 
that's like 90% of what a good financial planner is doing. The stuff at that level, the year by year type of planning. And so a Roth conversion is an example of bringing taxes into the current year. So if you expect tax to go up, I don't know where your listeners are on the political spectrum, but if they think taxes are going to go up, this might be a year to prepay some taxes in a lower bracket. That's a Roth conversion. If this happens to be a high tax year for them, a high income year, you may want to bring some deductions for it into this year. In, in, in essence, pushing taxes out into the future. So that's, that's a donor advised fund. And so that's the type of bread and butter stuff that an advisor, it takes work. Like an advisor needs a tool to go in and run those calculations, run those scenarios for their clients. But then finding those opportunities, you pick up a few thousand dollars a year, that starts to really add up. And then, you know, at the end of your relationship with the advisor, um, you know, they'll look at the investment side, but you know, you can look at thousands of dollars if you plan out your taxes year on year in this sort of way. You know, get someone else if you're a billionaire. Yes, get a Cayman Islands offshore thing. But those of us who are in the real world, that's the sort of tax planning that really pays off in the long run. Yeah, I think one of the things we found it really is, for lack of a better term, it's about the blocking and tackling, and it's a, it's asking, you know, it's the five or six things. It's not sexy, but there are really smart things you can do simply by doing some some pretty basic planning. But it's hard to do at the consumer level. To your point, um, that's why I think this product fits really well in the advisory space is because as fiduciary, certainly that is part of what we should be doing. And I found it's an area that at least folks that we work with, it's been a black hole for a really long period of time. And it's been a way to really to make their taxes come alive. And, and I've found the engagement with the client actually is much improved and we're having much more productive conversations as a result of the stuff that you guys are building. Totally. And you know, and you, by law, you got to put together a tax return every year. Hmm. And so advisors working with clients, they know that there's going to be this really valuable document that's available every single year. Uh, and it's a great roadmap. You know, another thing is it's a great way. I've had clients in my office who had no idea what they spend. You probably got a few of these where like, you know, like I tried QuickBooks for two months and I, but I just don't know what I spent. I don't know. I, I tried to, I tried to calculate my stuff and all you do is say, okay, let's take, what your total income was for last year. Let's take your total taxes for last year and let's subtract out whatever you put into your 401k and whatever is left, that's what you spent. And like that has, I've seen that blow people's minds in prospect meetings and client meetings, people who try to go from this other route of trying to add up every time, save every grocery store receipt, forget it. This is a great way every year to kind of do a checkpoint. Are you really spending what you said or thought you were spending? So that's another great, like super simple thing. Well, that's kind of the fallacy of budgeting, right? It's like budgeting is this, it's almost like a four letter word. Like everybody hates it, but people who try to do budgeting and say, well, this is what I think I'm going to spend. I don't really care what you think you're going to spend. We know what you did spend to your point. It's, you know, whatever was left over. If you didn't save it, you spent it. Yep. Can't hide it. It's right there. And most people, when they budget, they leave out that one-time item that happens. It's a different one-time item every single month, but uh, they always leave those things out, it seems. So they're always, almost always, my experience has been... Well, if that's not in the always, budget, therefore it doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, that's and it just happens to cost, under, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> $7,500 a month. But uh, that's just one-timer. <laughs> yep. Um, so let's let's uh, we're going to get to the I think we I borrowed this term from a different podcaster, but the free skate section of the podcast. 
talk about what do you guys see coming up in terms of not just new tech, but kind of tax laws, especially with the election coming up. Do you have any projections or predictions on uh, based on uh, uh, who may win in the fall? What changes we might be in store for on the tax side? Because otherwise, it's a loaded question. You know, I, I, I'm in a position now where we're reactive on those sorts of things. I, I think, you know, we have we have had people ask, like, can you build into the software a scenario if Biden wins and his tax plan happens or this guy's tax plan happens? But whatever whatever happens on that on the back end of this thing, we have no idea what the specifics are going to be, and so. I don't think, I think it's kind of, if you try to actually plan around any specifics, you're just going to come up with fake numbers. I think it probably is safe to say that you could see a new tax regime in and given the finances of country, like maybe taxes are going to go up. So, I mean, you could plan for that. And if this is a low, if this is already going to be a low income tax year for you, either because your RMDs were canceled or because something happened with your business and your lower business year, then this might be a year to, to bring some some income forward do that Roth conversion. But anything, any, trying to be more specific than that, I think you're just making something that looks looks like science that's really hard. Well, and there are software tools out there that allow you to just do that. What if this? What if that? What if the other thing? You know, what if China takes over Taiwan? How's the impact going to be on your stocks? You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, Roger, what you mentioned is something that we find ourselves saying a lot, or at least I do, which is, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but we can control things today, this year. And this year, there are a lot of things that have happened that allow that present some planning opportunities from the SECURE Act. Uh, I think it's, it's a SECURE or a CARES Act, one of the two, I can't remember, where the RMDs were suspended. Great, great, great planning opportunity. Back to, Kevin, what you said about Roth conversion opportunities. A lot of folks have been furloughed, uh, so their employment income is much lower this year. I mean, so this is a this is if if there was ever a year for planning, this would be one of those years. Uh, who knows what's going to happen after that? Yeah, this is going to be a very busy fourth quarter for anyone in the tax planning business. We think, for sure. Well, I had a, so a follow up question, and this is um, something we came across recently, which is the current tax law that's in place has a sunset provision. And what year is it? Twenty twenty five? Is that coming? Is that twenty twenty five? Twenty twenty five. I mean, yep. what do you find in in some of your firms? I mean, do you? What are your thoughts on tax planning long term with those tax laws set to sunset? Is that, I mean, is it 50 50? I mean, what, what advice would you give to people planning about with those things looming? Yeah, I don't think we, you know, it, it's, it's, it's making a bet just like we talked about before. Do, is it going to sunset or not? Um, you could show both you know, both approaches, whether it's going to sunset in 2025 or not show one version that it's going to sunset another one that it's not. Uh, but I, my strategy and all that is let's do something that over the next four years that we know will work over the next four years. And, you know, let's deal with 2025 when we have a, a better sense of what it's going to look like, because quite honestly, we don't even know if we're going to get to 2025 and ha- have a sunsetting of the, the tax cuts and job tax might get completely blown up in 2021 for all we know or the so, way we're going the whole earth might get blown yeah. up I think. Yeah, that's the one thing we can hope that yeah. we do get to 2025 right. yeah let's yeah. start there <laughs> right right so we talked about the secure act the cares act what are your favorite tax law changes um kind of closing everything out i'm curious to know what are your favorites you know this year with the cares act um 
they made a move in the in an interesting direction, which is they've added an above the line deduction for charity. It's only three hundred bucks, so it's not really going to move the needle for a lot of people. But that's really interesting uh, from a policy perspective. You can see they're starting to maybe carve things out of itemized deductions, and they're making that an above the line deduction. So that's interesting. They've eliminated this is also CARES Act. They've eliminated the there used to be a cap on how much you could donate to charity with respect to your income. And I know I had a client who had a building he deducted and or rather he donated and he had to take like many years to get this thing off of his tax return. That's been eliminated. You can do up to a hundred percent. So, you know, there aren't there might be some very specific cases where someone's got an asset they're trying to unload or, you know, like a building they couldn't sell or something like that. You could donate that, um, and there's that, that, that hunt, you can get up to a hundred percent of your AGI. So you know, there's some little things like that that could be kind of interesting. And by the way, donor advised funds are not applicable to either one of those things. But uh, you know, we see those sorts of things. Um, but uh, it's more like what's the trend? And, and to me, that we we've seen over the last few times, the last few times they've touched the tax code. They've done more and more to take away the value of itemized deductions. They've, they've increased the standard deduction. They've capped state and local taxes. And now there's this initial movement to, to allow for um, charity above the line. That could really cause some interesting planning discussions in the future. Because suddenly mortgage interest not as valuable uh, to try to deduct. Same with medical expenses, charity even, kind of different treatment. Yeah, I, th I think that's a trend. You know, they talked about when they passed the the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2018. They always talked about this postcard that they were going to put. The tax return was going to be on a postcard, <laughs> and they didn't even come close to that. However, what they did do with the standard deductions and limiting some of the itemized deductions and forcing so many more people out of itemizing, it's a step in that direction. Where I think as we go forward, they're going to try to I guess you know it depends on who's in in office, but they might try to make taxes more and more simplified to to process and to fill out for folks. That's what they were trying. I think that's part of what they were trying to do with the standard deduction changes. And yeah, I echo what Roger says is as the the my my favorite one, and I think it's one that a lot of people are going to miss. A lot of people are not are are going to realize their charitable contributions didn't get them to the point where they could itemize. They're going to potentially forget to take at least 300 of that on top of their standard deduction. Yeah, I totally agree. That was actually my favorite as well. I think it just opens up a lot of possibility in the future, uh, especially with itemizing and a lot of people taking the standard deduction. They've kind of paused charitable contributions. So this allows them to look back and say, okay, let me at least do 300. So yeah, those are great. So I know we're running short on time here, and I want to make sure that those folks, uh, other folks on the phone, some of our other Holista Plan users, we effectively have a support call right here. If you guys have any of your questions, <laughs> Mariami, Jack, probably to a lesser extent, anything on your side that you want to ask these guys before we wrap? I'm good. I'll tell you, tell you one thing: running a software company, like you would not be a, you would not be able to believe the number of people who forget their passwords. <laughs> like y'all. Listening here, get a password manager, everyone. <laughs> I don't care who you work for. I don't care what you're doing, but a password manager makes you that so much more secure because if you're always changing your password, you don't know what it is. I mean, 
you start to just put the names of your kids or whatever it is, like, please turn on that multi-factor authentication and use a password manager. Well, you heard Save it first. Your desk can help somewhere out, out of all the advice we could have given today, although we're not supposed to be giving advice, get a password <laughs> manager. We've said that before. We can provide too. that advice. Yeah, we can. That's not financial Can't tell you advice. Which one so. Yeah. Well, guys, I have to say thank you very much both, Kevin Lozer, Roger Pine, for your time today and for your product, Holistic Plan. I have to say you make us a better firm for what you allow us to do in a scalable fashion, and, and we really do thank you for that. Pleasure. Great to work yeah. with folks like you. You've been, you've been there pretty much since day one, so thank you for all your support. Yeah, awesome. we greatly appreciate it. Well, thank we wish you the you best so and I hope, uh, hope things continue to uh, progress in the right direction for you all, and Look forward to having you guys back as uh, some of our res- resident tax experts from time to time, if you're willing. <laughs> great. Sounds Thank good. You. All right, guys. All right. Thanks very much. Everyone thanks. out there. Thanks for having us. Have a great rest of the week. Take care. Bye.